Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk Man, I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold sets up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe coming off of one of the best college basketball games I've ever seen in person and one of the best atmospheres. Maybe the best atmosphere for a Longhorn basketball mm-hmm. game I've ever been a part of at the Irwin Center for that 79-76 win over Kansas on a big Monday. But we're not talking basketball. We're talking Longhorn football and plenty of it on this week's edition of the show. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for being a part of this week's presentation. You can support this podcast by searching Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. Click that follow button to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz when it drops. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to get over to Horns 24-7, the latest and greatest in Longhorn team news, recruiting nuggets, all everything uh, dealing with matters uh, athletically on the 40 acres is there for you at Horns 24-7. So get over to the site and check it out. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and... A daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Matt, would you like to know that, uh, you know, in the press room before basketball games, one of the big topics of conversation that seems to pop up with some of the local media folks is, man, how does Matt Butler get all those numbers? Like, what does Matt do? And I'm like, (laughs) there's a reason I call him the daily fantasy guru. Like, that is what he does. Putting the work in. And you guys (laughs) should see the color-coded charts and everything Mm -hmm. else. So H-A-W's. Hard well, yes, work is what it is. A lot of numbers and just nerdy numbers. My mind was always one that when we were kids, I've been reading box scores before I actually like read words. So it was like sort of the language I speak. Yeah. No, I've been to his house and it's just, he got a table and it's full, like the whole damn table is just spread out with numbers and charts and stuff. I migrated to my room it's a beautiful these mind. days. It's a beautiful mind type thing going on there. A man who loves his numbers, <laughs> he loves his charts. Are you a pie graph guy, Rod? I don't know. Mm, sometimes. <laughs> nothing wrong with a good pie graph. A Venn diagram? Yeah, there you go. Nothing wrong with that. All of the above, because he's a renaissance man, and he's that damn good at what he does. And I say this, and I mean this in all sincerity. 
Nobody preps more than the third member of our team. He is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Board. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother. Damn fine intro as always. Uh, I try to do my best. Uh, so, gentlemen, we've kind of – I, I kind of wanted to, leading up to spring ball, take stock of kind of state of the positions, and we went heavy quarterback last week. And I want to transition okay. uh, talking about maybe the easiest position in the program to talk about and oh, maybe the most <laughs> complex <laughs> to talk about. Easy, yeah. <laughs> Let's start with the easy, right? We'll get to the complex later. Yeah. Because running back – is the easiest position in the program to talk about. It's true. It is the deepest position. It is the most talented position. Like, you look at that stable, right? All those guys flashed at some point mm-hmm. in the 21 season. We know what Bijan did. The numbers are what they are. We'll get into some PFF numbers and kind of nerd out on some Bijan numbers here in a second. But Roshan Johnson had a big game at the end of the year in that case they gave him. Rojo's a proven commodity, right? Everybody listening to this podcast should know Rojo is one of your truly proven commodities on offense. As a matter of fact, behind Bijan Robinson and Xavier Worthy, he's probably number three in terms of skill, position, proven commodities. We saw what Keelan Robinson can do, and that's maybe the most intriguing part of that position. And even Jonathan Brooks, like, yeah, he did it against Rice, a little bit against Texas Tech, but up until he got hurt in the Kansas game, he was flashing in that game. Oh, now, by the way, you throw Jaden Blue into that mix, who before he – got into a situation where he didn't play his senior year of high school, was ranked by a lot of the recruiting networks, 24-7 sports included, as the number one running back prospect in the country. Oh, yeah. So, Rod, when you talk about position groups, man, the rich got richer. We talk about the Texas running back room in the offseason, and that's why I said when the running back job opened, when Stan Drayton took the head coaching job at Temple, the line formed to the left of guys wanting that job. We were doing a remote at Pluckers. Uh, I think the Monday after that job had opened. And we were in the middle of the show, and a Power 5 running backs coach called me, and I got up to take the call because they were wondering what I was hearing about the Texas job because they were very interested. (laughs) It was that kind of job. Put the word in for me if you got a hookup. So, but it ends up being Tashard Choice is the choice, no pun intended, for Steve Sarkeesian. And I don't mind that at all, a young, energetic guy, NFL background. That's good. It it, it, it brings more energy to those older coaches there. You want to do have that. You want that good mix of the wisdom, but also that young, youthful exuberance where they just come in every day and they're on a high. And I think it's a good mix and a good balance to have. That's what he's trying to build. Yeah. You look at this year, just those uh, the additions across the board with two guys like Choice and Marion, but then you also bring in a guy like Patterson that's going to be involved in some type of way to where you get both ends of the spectrum with it. Yeah. Plus a guy that knows the state of Georgia, and Georgia is becoming one of those states like Louisiana. Rod, I don't know if you got the numbers in front of you, but I know per capita, yeah, Georgia hey, Georgia hey, produces. Yeah, uh, they they they're top five. I can yeah. find the exact numbers for yeah. you because I went and crunched them not too long ago when I was looking at the short choice. But Georgia is one of those states where you it's like Louisiana from the standpoint of you got to know where to devote your resources and if you're recruiting certain high schools where maybe you're just wasting your time, and you got Tashard Choice who's from the state of Georgia. 
played at Georgia Tech, coached at Georgia Tech. So he knows that state really, really well, should know that state really well. And, man, you can find NFL-caliber players in Georgia Tons. without getting you know the top ten, top five type guys in the state that are going to go to Georgia or yep. Alabama or totally Tennessee or wherever. Yeah. Uh, I don't have them on me right now, but I do know off the top of my head that the last three years that Georgia's been top five per capita in producing NFL talent. If you look at on a state-to-state level. Yeah, and a year-by-year year basis, it always will bounce around. But it's, it if you look around, at the mean but, yeah. averages, it's always up around the top. The last – but it, it's, it, it wasn't that case for – I don't know, man. If you go back probably eight years, that wasn't the case. I don't know what was going on. I don't know what, the, what happened. I haven't really tracked it. But – Georgia last five to six years or so has really asserted itself as one of the meccas of producing NFL talent. Louisiana has always been there. Hell, those yep. Mississippi, I think, has always kind of been South there. South Carolina is another one. That's it's like, it's, it's it's some places they yeah. just start trending. They just go start. It's a boom almost. And that's I don't know where why. Mississippi is. If you look at the Clarion Ledger, which is uh, out of Mississippi, uh, actually updated in 2021 and. This past season, you had Mississippi become number one, and it was like per 26 players. Oh, yeah, Mississippi's players. always been number and one. And it was, I think, in yeah, 2020 was when Georgia actually was number one with Louisiana was number two to where it was like uh, one out of every 72,296 in yeah. Georgia. Louisiana was one in every 76,837 then Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, yeah. and the then SEC the D.C. <laughs> oddly, the D.C. area, and then Delaware hopped up in there for that random mm-hmm. year. Texas was just outside. It was, I think, finished. It looks like ninth. Yeah, but you know what? I bet right. I, I, and I don't have the numbers in but front George's of me. And top five, basically, for the five, past five years. And this would take some rabbit hole in. But I bet if you look at, we talk about this on on Light the Tower with Craig Wade and Snoop Daniel. Who, by the way, if you love preps in the Greater Austin area, Snoop Daniel and the team at Flex ATX, they do a better job than anybody covering preps in this area. Um, But we've been talking about population growth in Austin, this population Mm -hmm. movement that's been going on over the last 15 to 20 years. While a lot of those parents have moved to the suburban areas, Mm -hmm. now they've got kids that are in high school. You're seeing Austin. I mean, heck, in the last five to ten years, Austin's turned out a Heisman winner and a number one overall pick in the draft. And Garrett Wilson's probably going to be a first-round pick. Uh, I wonder if you looked at Metro Austin and Metro Atlanta – I bet Atlanta's probably up there in terms of population boom in the last 15, yeah. 20 years. Yeah. No, no, I agree with that because Austin does help out a lot. Uh, but, yeah, for Texas, though, you have three of those then basically, right, because Austin's now coming up. But Houston and Dallas, you go look at the NFL players being produced by just Houston and Dallas yeah. alone. Dude, it's like Houston and Dallas, if you put it up against the states producing NFL players based on draft picks, Houston and Dallas will be top five. That's why U of H has always perplexed me. <laughs> it's crazy. As a job, because like if you just recruited your backyard, if you just took, literally, if you're U of H, if you just took 25 guys in a year from the greater Houston area, oh, man. you could be a top 25 program. Yeah, it's hard, though, because now everybody's recruiting Houston and Dallas. Yes, exactly. It used to be easier. You back, back in the day, maybe it was easier. Now it's not a secret. Everybody knows that there's tons of talent in Houston and Dallas. But Austin... I think it's still a little hidden gem, but maybe not anymore. It, it's it's vastly it's vastly becoming un, unearthed, if you will. Yep. For people are mining this area for gems. That Metro Atlanta is, is the same. But you, I think you're right about that. I'm gonna do some research, but I bet you're right. I bet if you looked up just population booms around Atlanta, suburban around Atlanta, that you would probably see something very similar. Here's the number that I got from just the last NFL draft: Greater Houston and Dallas 
Fort Worth Metroplex combined to have more former high school football players drafted in the NFL than any other state except for Texas and Florida. Those two places are what make, yeah. you know what I mean, Texas really, really special. But I bet Georgia's got something like that going on. Seems like it anyway. Yeah. yeah. Plus, I got, you know, that's one thing about you. I want, definitely don't want to turn this into a political discussion, but you watch like you watch an election and you get familiar with like surrounding counties and they'll talk about like population growth mm-hmm. in the counties like, you know, demographically Georgia, high breaks down. Hey, Georgia was one of those states this last election. You got Great familiar point. with some of the counties surrounding Georgia. Great point. Hey, obviously, things are changing in Georgia a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And uh, if you point. just look going, I didn't get through 2021, but in 2020, there's actually Houston has the most. If you look at just NFL player hometowns, Houston has the most. Miami is second. And Tampa is like in the top four. Then you have Detroit, New Orleans and Atlanta. And it's, yeah, and just ahead mm-hmm. of St. Louis and Philadelphia, so Atlanta is just outside the top five. It's your choice, baby. The only thing Why I knew for a long time about Metro Atlanta was a Cobb County, and the only reason I knew about Cobb County is because uh, in WWF back in the day, that's where the Big Boss Man was from. <laughs> <laughs> nice. If you, if you ever take a trip down to Cobb County, Georgia, you better read the signs. Oh, that Respect would not be a popular and character in wrestling today. <laughs> big boss man. Big boss man. You know, he was like a real life legit uh, prison guard. I know what I'm saying, but like today that wouldn't be a pop. No, no, it wouldn't fly. No. <laughs> Back then it was awesome. Well, you get you get a different kind of heat today if you were uh, <laughs> if you were playing the role of a, yeah, of a prison guard true. or law enforcement <laughs> officer. If you look at the most uh, specific, just high schools uh, specifically, Allen is the second in the NFL right now with six NFL players. In Houston, North Shore has five. So that's up there in the top. And then Stevenson in Georgia also tied with North Shore 5. I'm assuming that's uh, outside of the Atlanta area. Mm-hmm. And Peachtree has four. So there you have it. A little, now ooh. Westlake with four. Shout out. Yeah, little, not bad. Uh, There's Austin. There you go. A little geography lesson on the, the state of Georgia in the metro Atlanta area. <laughs> that's what we do here on Longhorn Blitz. Uh, but, no, so the running back position at Texas, uh, you know, we could nerd out on Bijan numbers, and, and we'll go ahead and do that right now. But Rod, we we spent a lot of time talking about this on the Brennan Marion episode, as I'm calling it, that we did. I, I think that was our first episode of the year. You can go back and check that out in the archives. Um, but I was encouraged. If you go back to Sark's signing day press conference, mm-hmm. I was encouraged by the fact that you know he talked about he talked about the go go offense. He, he talked about infusing some of those concepts, and actually said what really intrigued him about hiring Brennan Marion is that if he looked at the pit offense with Brennan Marion and Mark Whipple and looked at what he was doing and said there was a lot of similarities, and the encouraging thing from there, when you talk about infusing the go-go into his offense, he said where you're really going to see that, and I'm paraphrasing here, is the maximization of the running back position, Mm -hmm. specifically getting two tailbacks on the field at the same time. And I don't want to go down the rabbit hole again and just regurgitate what we've already talked about in a full episode, but that's a look. Obviously, we know Kyle Shanahan loves 20 personnel and 21 personnel with a traditional fullback. And when Mm -hmm. Sark took over as the offensive coordinator in Atlanta, when Kyle Shanahan got the four, by the way, if you're a, if you got your Longhorn Blitz bingo card, go ahead and fill the Kyle Shanahan spot since we already mentioned his name <laughs> at this point in the podcast. But Sark talked about not wanting to really reinvent the wheel, and his spin on Kyle Shanahan's 21 personnel look was to use two tailbacks. He did that with Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, but he didn't have a ton of experience doing it. And I think the fact that Brennan Marion can help him 
infuse some of the go-go to get the most out of a two-tailback look. Rob, there's no better way to maximize this tailback position than to just get more of them on the field at the same time. Yeah. No, I think um, the you know the acquisition of Brendan Marion, of course, he likes his talent development, likes the energy that he recruits with. He's a dynamic recruiter. I think he's going to prove to be that too. But um, his in- his innovation, right, the, the go-go offense with two tailbacks specifically. Uh, you talked about Osart, you know, trying to transition from Shano's offense there with Atlanta. He did the same thing with two tailbacks. He's got a little bit of experience with. He talked about there at Washington that he also used 20 and 21 personnel, two back sets at times. Um, but he hasn't gotten really extensive with it this year. You know, you start counting the, uh, the percentage of sets with two tailbacks and they were less than 10%. I think Sark wants to increase that to at least 15 to 20% because he's, he's bringing in more and more dynamic running backs. And here's the thing I think that, you know, is going to make it a challenge for Sark, and I think he wanted to do it, but he, he didn't really understand the different schematic conceptual uh, challenges that were going to be um, that were going to be inherent in terms of being able to block up front and being able to win the numbers game with two tailbacks in the backfield and with a running game that probably should have involved your quarterback running as well. But he didn't do that. Um, so I think that's why you bring in Brendan Marion. You look at yards per rush out of 20, of 20 point personnel or two, 20 personnel, both of those two tailback sets, and they were only at 4.48 yards per rush. He wants to increase that. We know Sark wants to run the ball. Their actually most successful passing formation was out of two tailback sets. That's the irony of it. They actually had a higher completion percentage and a higher yards per attempt out of two tailback sets than they did out of 11 personnel or 12 personnel. So they can throw the ball out of two tailback sets, mostly because they play mind games with the defense, right? They come out of two tailback sets, but they go four, they go uh, kind of two-by-two two sets. They'll spread it out. They'll go empty formation out of two tailback sets, and usually defense is programmed to stop the run there, freaks them out, and you can create big explosive plays in the passing game. But I think he wants to bring Brennan Marion in, and I know he's coaching wide receivers. The short choice is going to be a great part of this. But he wants to be able to increase the productivity in the run game specifically, which are two tailback sets. They were actually their their weakest running set or their weakest running personnel package here was actually their two tailback sets. They averaged more yards per rush out of 11 personnel, more yards per rush out of 12 personnel. So he wants to use more two tailback sets, but he can't afford to put them out there in the two tailback sets if they're not going to be able to run the ball effectively and right. efficiently. So that's what I think is holding him back. That's what Brendan Marion is going to help him break through, yeah, that wall. I know the week you were out, Jeff, we went into some of the numbers as well, Je- uh, Rod and I did, but if you look at just the – a way that they utilized those backs in the passing game at Pitt. It went up by over 49% from 51 targets to 76 targets. And we knew that Sark was a guy that liked to throw to his running backs more. And Texas went up from 39 to 54. So it's sort of similar to the year pre-Marion at Pittsburgh. See if it goes up like the same ratio at 49%. But when you look at just snaps overall that Texas had, now this doesn't account for the exact numbers as Rod's brought up, but he's put the numbers around the same point at about 8% of the time because you had 830 snaps for the Texas offense, 896 by Texas backs, it doesn't account for necessarily every play because there can be a play whenever both backs are off the field. But that's 66 snaps that overlap, that's a minimum of 7.95, so about 8% of the time with two backs at Texas. Yeah, I just, you know, when we talked about the Texas offensive line, we'll, we'll get around to the offensive line again. 
you, know, you look at some of the football outsiders metrics, and Texas was, you can make the argument, they were a top 15, top 20 offensive line nationally. And if you didn't watch, I say this all the time, if you didn't watch a snap of Texas all year and you just looked at those numbers, you'd say, wow, the Texas offensive line was pretty good, not too bad. But we know the what the eye test showed, and it's, it's so weird how we talked about this on another episode also. It's so weird how there's so many similarities between the Longhorns and the Dallas Cowboys just in terms of yeah. empty production and what's on what's on paper versus what the eye test tells or you. Or beating up on the NFC Great. East or you know, like yeah. Texas did, like you were saying, a lot of those per-season-long metrics Rice that we talked about. And- yeah. If you go and take those mean averages across the board, as long as you're above average against the bad teams, it can make your overall season averages be pretty good or above average or even bordering on top 25, even though against the best ones you're deficient, and it was quite obvious. Yeah, so I just, I'm just i looking at some Bijan numbers. Um, the one that stands out to me, and basically you can sort it a number of different ways, but pro football focus. So 340 rushing attempts, that was the most in FBS mm-hmm. this year. So I basically went by minimum rushing attempts. It's 50% of 340. So I figured out that's taking out a lot of just – you know, your yep. random, you know, your random numbers. I think your that's junkyards. Yeah, so yeah. I don't have my uh, 170. 170, thank you, Matt. I had that on my calculator. For context, Roshan had 95, so it's all the Roshans, and even if you get yeah. a little bit more. Uh, if you if you just look at that on 50% of 340 snaps nationally, Bijan was fourth in forced missed tackles. Kenneth Walker, the third at Michigan State, led the country with 89. Jalen Warren at Oklahoma State mm-hmm. with 84. Brian Robinson at Alabama was 79, and then Bijan was 78. Uh, but, you know, real quick, Rod, I know you love talking about how the Big 12, and we, we've we been talking about this for years now. We talked about it in, like, the Veer and Shoot Art Briles days and what Gary Patterson was doing with Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham at TCU. We're like, oh, my gosh, the Big 12, it's a wide-open league, and they just chuck and duck the ball. No. Big 12 teams run the football. And they do it really well, and now I think everybody is catching on to the fact that the Big 12 is a it's a running league. It's a running league, league. cross-dressing as a passing league. Yeah, thank you, yeah. Rod. Well, and that was the misconception of yeah, people like much. the Air Raid or Bryles or Kingsbury, like all yeah. these guys. There's a lot of running because well, they knew was Leach, and what they realized is all the different, uh, you know, kind of evolutions of the Air Raid. Art Browse yeah. was running the football as much, if not more, than he was throwing the football. Lincoln Riley, same thing. A lot of those guys. Even Cliff. Cliff, Cliff runs the ball. Cliff runs the ball more than Leach. Yeah, so everybody was fixated on Leach in the air raid because Leach was just, and you know, then they get upset but, but Leach didn't even really call run plays. He depended on his quarterbacks to go to the line of scrimmage. And if they saw, obviously, the defense go dropping eight, mm-hmm. all right, getting ready to drop eight and only going to rush three, hey, man, you need to check to a run play. He would often cuss his yes. dog, cuss his quarterbacks out when they come to the sideline saying, hey, man, why didn't you run the ball? And he's like, well, you called a pass play. Well, hey, I'm out on the field, all right? You're the guy yeah. on the field. Don't be a robot. So I think everybody kind of mis, kind of misevaluated early on what the different evolutions of the air raid were going to be. We all thought, oh, they're just going to be there. Uh, they're Mike Leach. Uh, you know, they're Mike Leach disciples. They're all going to be like Mike Leach. They weren't anything like Mike Leach. No. Actually, they all kind of went a different way than Mike Leach. They, started, they actually went to run the ball more. It's like the one flaw they saw in their, you know, in their mentor. They said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. 
Yeah, no, that's the I one thing so. holding him back. I'm not going there. The last one. Run rate. He's Leach is always still up at oh, the top yeah. at 75 percent of the time passing yeah. at least sometimes Easy. bordering on 80. Meanwhile, yep. you'll be down around 60. And it's the same thing when you hear people talk about the NFL and they, this so-called air raid. They say or like just confused because the title implies exactly. in their mind that they're passing, even though it runs about you know 60 40 if you look at the pass to run rate. Just like exactly. you know. I love the fact that we do football theory on this podcast because, as God is my witness, I'm going to vomit the next time I hear an NFL coordinator change, specifically on defense, and I hear the question, well, are you a 4-3 or a 3-4? Nobody's running 3 or 4 linebacker personnel anymore. Everybody's basing out of a nickel defense. It's been that way for 10 years now. Catch on to the trend. We've been talking about it in the Big 12 for the last 15 to 20. Yeah. That nickel is base. I agree. That's a question. That Does that just not like make you want to just swallow your own eyeballs, Rod? Scrubs. Like I don't go to those press <laughs> I don't so I, even if they ask, you know, Sark and them stuff like that, I don't go because I can't stand three, four, four, three. Yeah, <laughs> there's five DBs. You subtract that from eleven. I'm going what to are you punch myself in my own throat. Yeah, to put myself out of my misery. <laughs> um, sorry for getting off on that tangent. I just oh, just aggravates me. Aggravates the heck out of me. Um, but no, you, like you look at the Big Twelve too, and like it seems like every year—that's another thing. At Big Twelve Media Day is one of the topics every year, Rod. Every year we hear this. Oh man, look at all the quality running backs that are in this league. It's a, no, the Big Twelve's been producing quality running backs oh, for a long time now. For and you just time. look, you look at some of the PFF numbers. Who are your national leaders? Bijan Robinson, Brees Hall, Kennedy Brooks, Abram Smith, like yep. Jalen Warren. Yep. Yeah. Some of the best running backs in the country are in this conference. Wake up, people. Exactly. Wake up. The yeah. NFL's littered with Oklahoma State running back. There's always been your guys from Carson to your Hunters. Like their interchangeable backup running back is going to be a guy from the Big 12. Yep. Yeah. Sort of like backup centers from Texas in the NBA. Yeah. No, no, I mean, it's a, it's it's one of those positions where and I'm not going to say they're not like a dime a dozen, but it's easier. It's becoming easier and easier to find quality running backs. It just is. Mm-hmm. I think wide receiver and running backs are just deep positions. And stylistically, then NFL is evolving to where the Big 12 was offensively. So the it also fits that the, these running backs from this conference fit well in modern schemes of the NFL. We talk about it a lot, too. In, in the area, like it's funny about the Mike Leach disciples, the, la- the, like the one last holdout. From wanting to run the ball was Dana Holgerson. You remember in 2018 yeah. when we talked about his run? His run rate was one of the lowest in the country. I think it was the lowest in the conference for sure. But they don't run. They don't run the football. Nope. We talk about well, they don't get in the third down very much. They don't want to get in the third down because Dana Holgerson doesn't want to be in that 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 mm-hmm. conflicted situation where uh, do I run the ball or not? And then he just finally gave him like you know what? Got Letty Brown and some H backs. Hell, just run the ball. Yeah. Start, no. start, start pounding that rock. It took them. It took them a little while, but um, you know, I think the Big Twelve, though, you know, wins. It's almost evolution, right? You start looking at the Big Twelve when it was a true, mostly an air raid league, where you had teams that were throwing the ball a ton. When Mike Leach was in his heyday, uh, the adjustment was, you know, what we're gonna drop our safeties back, right? We're playing two deep safeties most of the time because teams are trying to run the ball, and ultimately the kind of, uh, you know, the evolutionary adaptation by the offenses. Well, if they're going to play two deep safeties all the time, we got to start running the damn ball. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely, almost every team in the Big 12 started running the ball more against all these two high-shell uh, safety looks. And now you're starting to see something else happen, right? Now you're starting to see some of the Big 12 defenses start to adapt. So I think ultimately in the NFL, I know the NFL now is looking like the Big 12 like 10 years ago. The big, I think the NFL is going to go through that very same 
evolutionary adaptation mm-hmm. because now everybody's playing two high shows. Right? Everybody loves Brandon Staley. They love what Vic Fangio, mm-hmm. Fangio's doing, right? Everybody loves the two high show looks. Two high shows. All you hear, two high show, mm-hmm. two high show against Patrick Mahomes, two high show against Josh Allen, <laughs> two high show, two high show. Okay, I get it. Two high show. It's very popular. Okay, but uh, sooner or later, because they, they, are, they have been very effective against Aaron Rodgers and against Patrick Mahomes and against Joe Burrow and the dynamic off. quarterbacks. Yeah, because you're devoting more mm-hmm. of your defenders to defend the pass, and so you're winning the numbers advantage on the back end rather than trying to win the numbers advantage all the time in the running game. But sooner or later, which is why the Shanahan's of the world can steal in a day and age where Jimmy Garoppolo is his quarterback who throws more interceptions and touchdowns in this day and age, he can still make it by running the football, and the Titans can still do it too because everybody's playing two-eye shells. And if yeah. you can run the football effect, I'm talking about really run it. I'm talking about Shanahan-style run it or with the Titans will play bully ball like they do. You can go far. You can go far. Like, yeah. Now, it's going to be hard to win a championship that way because in the end, the NFL will force your quarterback to make plays. And then Ryan Tannehill, is it, it looks like Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, then Jimmy Garoppolo starts looking like Jimmy Garoppolo, and that's the difference because really good defensive coordinators will force you to do that. But for the most part, you're starting to see the same uh, defensive adaptations and evolutionary leaps that you saw in the Big 12. So I think the Big 12 for a long time was a bit of a kind of a lab. It was mm-hmm. it's kind of, right? It was a mic. It really was. It was a laboratory of progressive thinking and forward thinking in football. And think about it. That's why the NFL loves Big 12 quarterbacks, mm-hmm. loves those Big 12 schemes. Every love, backup. Hell, they tried to hire like three or four different Big 12 coaches, whether it be Lincoln Riley or Cliff Kingsbury, good mm-hmm. Lord, who got fired, or Matt Campbell. They love the Big 12 offenses because it's the most forward-thinking offensive league in football. But now the Big 12 is going through a bit of a, a evolution. And I think the NFL, in about 10 years, you'll see a similar evolution too. The other thing to that too, if you look at the Big 12 and going back to 2017, with John Haycock at Iowa State, what's the evolution of the Big 12 now? Because, like you said, Rod, the Big 12 was dealing with this 10 years ago where the veering shoot, everybody's starting to run too high safety looks to defend the pass, and Art Braz, that veering shoot, it's designed for you to open up the middle of the field so you can run the ball. Exactly. And the adjustment then by a guy like John Haycock was, well, we'll just go three safeties because, in theory, if you see the too high shell, it's going to bait you into running the football but if you've got a guy like he's had with Greg Eisworth or you go to the lightning package stuff Todd Orlando was doing, if you've got a guy like Jason Hall who is a true like hybrid defender yeah. that can be that overhang safety, and of course Texas had a couple of greyhounds at linebacker with Gary Johnson and Malik Jefferson. That helps. Uh, yeah, it can you can and I don't want to get too far into the, the defensive conversation, but when you've got guys that are that versatile, that fast, they can account and cancel a lot of gaps up front and make mm-hmm. things easier on your safeties to fill the alley when you're talking about stopping the run. I'm going to hold that thought because I know you've got some great stuff as yeah. far as that goes in a minute. But they'll buy them time. Yeah. Well, Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. But to wrap to wrap up the running back conversation, I mean, is there anything else we really need to say other than just looking forward to Texas doing more two-tailback stuff? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I was looking at, um, I think this is Rojo who put this out on his Instagram and 
they do what they call the hit stick. Did you see this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I, don't even, I don't even know what their metric what, what exactly is. It's, it's their basically their top speed plus or times their body weight. Um, so, I, like I said, I don't know why this metric is important, but apparently it is for Texas because they're doing it. And when they, you know, they actually ranked all the players and their hit stick ranking, the running back position. Let me just, I'll just read all the 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 guys in their rankings. Number one is Rojo. 44-04. Jonathan Brooks is number two at 39-80. Ryan Watts, 39-54. Bijan Robinson, number four, 38-50. Uh, so that, uh, then Marcus Washington is at number five. So out of your <laughs> this hit stick metric, which kind of, I guess, wants to kind of uh, be able to di- diagnose your explosivity plus your body weight, all those kind of things, it's got your running backs with th- being three of your top five. Well, goes to our point about the running back position being the most talented and the deepest. You got to figure out a way to weaponize that group. And next year, if you don't double your amount of two tailback sets, to me that means that you're wasting the innovation of Brendan Marion and bringing them in, or at least you're not fully maximizing them. Well, and what you just said right there with the the what is it the hit stick percentages? What they call it? They call that's, it hit stick. Yeah, that's the physics definition of momentum. Mass plus velo- times velocity, and all you're doing oh, you is go. talking about mass and yeah. velocity to see how much momentum is within an object. Where that's just a perfect physics equation. I love Matt Butler. See, brilliant. Bring it in the scientific, uh, you know, word words and stuff. I love that. That's exactly what it is, and if we're talking about the rates of run like Jeff had brought up, you know, and when in championship football and we talk about Georgia's like the team that everybody's, well, Georgia, you know, they pound that ball and they win championships last year, 35th in the nation in run frequency is 56.9% of the time, but who is ahead of that? Baylor was 18th in the country. Ohio, Oklahoma State was 25th in the country. Then you also had TCU ahead of Georgia. And not far away, you had Texas at 55%, Kansas State at 554 and mm-hmm. Kansas at 56.2%. So the Big 12 has six teams inside that top 50, and three of which were ahead of Georgia. And if you think of Georgia, you'd say, like, yeah, they probably run the ball more than anybody in the country. And it's yeah. like, no, nope, actually, Baylor and Okie State – two of the most successful teams in the Big 12 last year, ran it much more than Georgia did. One thing I was going to say, though, real quick, and I, I forgot to make this point, so I apologize to backtrack a little bit, but we talk about you know the, the three-safety look that Iowa State has unfolded that everybody's trying to copy and put their own spin on. You know, the counterpunch for the Big 12 offenses has been, man, can you just hire coordinators that can bring, we talked about a rod a couple of years ago, that hybrid spread influence into this league mm-hmm. with a guy like Neil Brown. We see it now with Jeff Grimes at Baylor. Mike Gundy's always been evolving himself as an offensive mind. I really yeah. respect kind of what he does. But it's kind of it, – it really the league has changed. It's not other than – I mean, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Other than now what Zach Kittley's going to do with Joey McGuire at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. And there really are no true air raid teams in the Big 12 anymore. Mm-hmm. Jeff Lebby – if you want to count Art Bryles on the air raid tree and yep. the Veer and Shoot, I guess, would be a distant cousin mm-hmm. of the air raid, you'd maybe throw Oklahoma in there kind of on the outskirts. But, but wasn't yeah. Levy, Levy was at Mississippi last year, right? Yeah, yep. Lane, Lane I mean, yep. they, they ran the ball 40th most in the country, 56.6% to where they even has have changed and evolved and moved away from. I mean, they're, uh, they've ran the ball basically right there between Georgia and Texas to where 
even he has evolved it to where, like, you still had Leach last year, 130th out of uh, 130 teams. It was 26.9%. But, yeah, like you said, Kitley, the guy that came from uh, Western Kentucky, Kentucky, they were at 32.3. He definitely yeah. is in that Leach mold. It's, you know, two out of every three plays is going to yeah. be a pass. Yeah, for sure. So it's just it's just a different league, and everybody needs to get their head right for it. One, one quick thing before I – I want to get to Keelan Robinson real quick. But on Bijan, Rod, does this number surprise you? Uh, we talked about going into no the – No number surprise well, me Bijan. <laughs> yeah, we talked about the missed tackles for us. He's one of the top running backs in the country also in 3.94 yards after contact per attempt. Um, we, we All the number we talked about going into the year, though, that – when you had Alabama's offense, that personnel, you could do pretty much whatever you want. We talked about how Sark was – I forget what the split was, but I think it was something like 55-45 in terms of zone runs versus gap runs. Or maybe it was closer yeah. to 50-50. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty even. Yeah, it was uh, almost 50-50. If you look at Bijan's – I remember it. Thank you, Matt. If you look at Bijan's carries last year, he was about little, almost 71% zone last year versus gap. And, I, I mean, I'll credit Sark with that. And Kyle Flood, because that's taking stock of figuring out what your offensive line can do. I did not think that would be a very good zone-blocking offensive line. I thought, man, if you if you have more gap schemes where you can create angles and leverage and maybe use some of the athleticism that that group has, that might be better for them. It was the exact opposite. They were not a very good gap power scheme run team, but they were really good. Bijan's a Bijan's Bijan can run in any scheme. He, he is such a great stretch runner. I mean, to he be is. a great stretch runner, we talked about it, Rod. I know you talked about it with the Shanahan run game. you got to have a back that's got patience, vision, and then the ability. When you see the lane, be it a front side lane or the cutback, can you stick a foot in the ground and get yeah. vertical? Yep. No, you're right about that. I mean, now everybody wants those running backs because everybody's running that ski. Mm-hmm. Outside zone, wide zone. And so you got I guess you have more of those backs to choose from. That and, my, this is why. This is why. Like, oh, everyone's running a wide zone. Like, you guys realize that's what Mike Shanahan was doing with Terrell Davis. Same back stuff. in the day. Like, it's, same stuff. It's just a new age spin on some old school. It is, but I stuff. mean, that's what's in your Super Bowl right now. Yeah. Sean McVay running that. And then if you look back also with the way the offensive line, what Sark inherited, uh, Herman was a predominantly zone He's run. Zone so guy. they heavy already zone, had that them familiar the with it, and there. then it fits the personnel as that's much. A good point. But then if you look overall at uh, the different running backs on the team and what they ran, it ended up being that 70.7% Bijan was zone. But if mm. you look at uh, Roshan, Roshan was just a 53-39. to 39, So it was a lot closer to 50-50. It was 57%. So you had different skill sets, and Roshan makes sense too. He's just pounding straight up and making some yeah. guys – Missed tackles. And they use Rojo more short yardage and goal line. So and that then makes sense. and then the K State game. Yeah. Like we said, it was just it wasn't even a wildcat. It was just direct snap it to the tailback and it let him try to get downhill. Even with Jonathan case. Brooks it was eleven to ten. Yeah. So he was pretty Yeah, yeah. Too. So but Bijan predominantly zone. Same and Keelan was a little bit off twenty six to nineteen. Yeah. But. The zone gives Bijan options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bijan is so good, he deserves options when you know, when, when Shanahan and and Gibbs were perfecting, you know, his zone running scheme, remember he's with the Raiders and they have Marcus Allen and mm, Bo, Bo Jackson there at the time. 
And Shanahan essentially is thinking to himself, well, how do I just let these guys make the play? I want to take myself out of it. I don't want to tell mm-hmm. him, hey, run through the B-gap. Yeah. You want to tell Bo Jackson and Marcus <laughs> Allen where to run? No. Give him four Mar- options. You want Marcus Allen and Bo Jackson to run. You want them, first of all, you want them running. That's why the outside zone is great And for you want guys. the defenders then, wondering where they're going to exactly. go. Exactly. And you want them to be able to choose and give them multiple options. And that's pretty much was the... The, the, the brainchild of what mm-hmm. is now the Shanahan zone running scheme. You had a Hall of Fame running back in Marcus Allen and maybe the greatest athlete of our generation in mm-hmm. the same damn backfield. Yeah. It's crazy. Right? It's crazy. It's yeah. wild. It's crazy. It's insane, man. I don't even, yeah, that was wild. Um, so, yeah, so Keelan Robinson, real quick, though, I, I've got my head wrapped around the guys that he is at this point. And we expect to start talking about him being the gadget play guy, whatever. Mm-hmm. I've got my head wrapped around the fact that he is more DJ Monroe than Marquise Goodwin. Yeah, no, you're yeah, right. for sure. I mean, it, it would be – if Shashar Choice can improve his hands, yeah. that'd be a hell of a coaching job right there. That, Brennan Marion Brennan could play a role in that too. Okay. You know what? Whatever. Team effort. But if they can improve his hands, yeah. they're great. But I'm with you, I think. Hand the ball off to him. Pitch it to him. Yes, Maybe don't throw the, it. The Get him onto the edge. Because the occasional that dude, bubble screen yeah, where he could just catch yes. it in space. Hopefully, very soft, mm-hmm. a soft toss. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious because he's a rocket. When he, you see yeah, him, like he, his is. speed is he's as elite the, he, as it gets. He destroys angles. He's one of the fastest players I've seen in college football in like the last two years. He really yes, is. for yeah. sure. Yeah. And like, he, yeah. I mean, just rewatch that rice run. It's a joke. It's like he's playing against children when yeah. you see because once he get, if he can break through the line untouched, he's so much faster than and, everybody. And to Jeff's point about. DJ Monroe, it means you got to give him like five touches because he's one of those guys where mm-hmm. two of those touches are probably be a loss or no gain. Mm-hmm. But if you give him enough, he's going to pop one. Yeah. Here's and the that's ratio. That's all you need for him to pop one. You give him four touches, he's going to pop one of them. Because we already know how explosive Bijan is. And if you look at the 15 plus yard runs and breakaway runs as PFF defines them, but those explosives. You ended up having 15 out of 195 for Bijan, which is one every 13 attempts. You look at mm. Keelan, he had five in 45 attempts, one in every nine. So you're talking about almost at a oh, you no. know 50% clip better than Bijan, which is rather remarkable. You know who was like that early in his career? Jamal Charles was like that early in his oh, career. Oh, yeah, was he really? Like if you look at a Jamal Charles game, he'd go 11 for – 75, and one of those was like for 63 or something. <laughs> yeah. you know? Just got to keep feeding the beast, yeah. man. Dajay was like that. Yeah. Yep. And uh, Jamal like that. kept that up through the NFL because he now is the highest yards per carry guy in the history of the NFL. That's when you look at 1,000-plus yeah. yards or 1,000-plus rushes. Past, past Jim Brown. Yes. Is that him and Jim Brown, isn't it? Yeah, there's a guy from 1957 <laughs> named Marion Motley that ran hey, it like yeah. seven. Yeah, you know <laughs> He's what? like 740 or something Don't attempts. So, man. like, okay. if you look at the minimum 750-plus, it's wow. Jamal. Unless you look at quarterbacks. Because your guys like Vin, Michael Vick and a few yeah, yeah, players, yeah, yeah, yeah. but out of running, running backs, backs yes, not no, man, it's yeah. overall. Marion Motley's one of those guys like go go rabbit holing on Marion Motley, like a two way <laughs> player, like back when they're playing Iron yeah. Man football. Like he's a guy that fascinates me, and I don't want to get off on a tangent. I love we that you get know. To no, give me something. I know anything about Marion Motley. I was, I I was towards the end of the ball. NFL season. I was looking up like what because in the eighteen game regular season, now a lot of records were in jeopardy of being broken, single yeah. season records. And Trevon Diggs had a chance for the interception mm-hmm. record. And I was looking at like, 
Dick Knight Train Lane had like 14 interceptions in a 12 game season oh. when they weren't throwing the ball. Dick Knight Train Lane of the ATX. Yeah. They also Old didn't Anderson care high, if like, they threw yeah. picks. Like Dick Knight Train Lane is one of those guys that fascinates me. Oh, I love I, I want somebody. I want, I if I might do it, write a screenplay about Dick Knight Train Lane. He was left like abandoned. I wouldn't say it wasn't by a dumpster. He was like abandoned at a building somewhere as a, as a baby. Wow. I heard uh, Colonel. No, uh, one, he's like abandoned. Go look it up. He's like a No, one morning on the high ground, uh, Colonel Craig Flowers here that you hear here on the horn on, as part of our Saturday Shout program. Uh, Colonel Flowers was telling Night Train Lane story. And I was like, I was on like a grocery store and I'm like in the parking lot at HEB, like listening to the story. Like, about like, Dick like, Night, yeah. Night I'm telling you, it's a great, he's a fascinating story, but you're right. I don't know how Dick Night Train Lane got that many picks. They were throwing it like four times a game. Yeah, <laughs> back in the day, boy, it was just because they didn't care if you threw interceptions. Like it took until like a post Brett Favre era that, like, so for a long time, coaches just didn't care if they threw picks and let them keep doing it. So you had Bill Walsh guys, cared. Yeah, uh, Bill Walsh yeah. cared. Bill very Walsh ahead big, of his time. Yeah, Bill Walsh was like, "Oh hell no, nah. you ain't." <laughs> yeah. We my quarterback throwing picks. Well, for the exact number on Jamal, it was Michael Vick. If you look of all rushers, Michael Vick seven point oh, Randall Cunningham six. 6.4, old Marion Motley at 5.7, Russell Wilson 5.5, and Jamal at 5.4. And if you look at people with rushes over, I think 750, it's Jamal in first. But Nick Chubb and Aaron Jones both over five yards per, so they have Man. a Randall Cunningham underappreciated. You go look people at quarterbacks who are able to was. lead their team in rushing and passing. Yeah. That dude did it like three or four times. Like in a row, I think, yeah, consecutive seasons. Yeah, he's a freak, seasons. man. Freak. When people say, again, quick NFL tangent because we got to get close to wrapping it up. When people say, oh, Patrick Mahomes, he's a unicorn. I've never seen anything like him. Yeah, you did. His name was Randall Cunningham. No, no, you made that comparison when when he first blew up, Patrick Mahomes did, and I was like, damn, you're right. He is. He's just with a better team and a better play caller, a better system. Oh, yeah. It's very Randall Cunningham-esque the way he just kind of shuffles out. But Randall would run the ball. Patrick Mahomes doesn't like to run the football into the playoffs. Like as, as yeah. a scrambling quarterback he, in the playoffs, he has all of his his longest rush, I believe, of of this of his career, most rushing yards of his career came in the playoffs. He's rushed for like back to back games with fifty plus rushing yards in the playoffs, along with like Steve McNair, Otto Graham is in that category, and Russell Wilson. But he saves it almost. Andy Reid says, "All right, man, now now go run, make, make be another threat." Well, people somehow. forget how Randall reinvented himself, right? Like when he was a buddy Ryan, it was free wheeling and mm-hmm. you know, hey, just you go let Randall be Randall and unleash the beast. And then he gets with like Rich Kotite and John Gruden, and like, oh, we want to make you a part of a West Coast quarterback That's and point. play from the pocket. Like, why are you gonna? Why are you going to take a Ferrari and drive it 25 miles an hour down the road? That makes no damn Turn sense. Turn to a game manager. It's like, he's not a game manager. But then he goes <laughs> he goes to the Eagles, and they realize, like Dennis Green and, and Brian Billick realize, you know what? The one thing Randall can do is throw the ball really deep, and the one thing Randy Moss, a young Randy Moss, can do is he can fighting. outrun everybody. Yeah. And they were airing it out, man. Airing it out. Also, since you yeah. brought up Randall Cunningham, he also has the fifth longest punt in NFL history. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the quick kick against Buffalo. A, yeah, the quick kick. Yeah, he yeah. was an all-American fantasy, fantasy football freak. Back if, Randall, if Randall Cunningham played in the single-wing era, he'd have been a Hall of Famer. I don't like a single-wing tailback, Randall Cunningham would have been. He had the third longest awesome. one of all time, 91 yards. He had two he, others, a 93-yarder right. and then a 98-yarder back he'd in the day. He'd be the greatest threat for a, a fake punt ever. I mean, yeah. he, said yeah. his back there. he could punt it, but also he could chug it. He was the punter at UNLV. He was an All-American punter. Damn. I just, That's I amazing. just, I just referenced single wing football. So we got to. Good job. We, we gotta, I know. We're off on a tangent. Uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, Rod, let's talk about the secondary. Let's do it.
And I, man, I started, I started just looking at this group and really something more so safety than corner. And this is my fault for not looking into it. I've talked about the position turnover there, right? Within the last 14 months, like you lose Chris Brown and Caden Stearns and BJ Foster, Chris Adamora, Tyler Owens, just on and on and on. For spring practice in in terms of returning scholarship safeties and guys that just period are in this because safeties and nickel strain together in this defense. Which I like that, yeah. You've got three returning scholarship safeties. Anthony Cook, Jaron Thompson, J.D. Coffey. That's it. I like two of those guys, actually. And then you got got Larry Turner Gooden and B.J. Allen, his true freshman mid-year enrollees. Really like B.J. Allen. Yeah. Watch. Those guys are going to have a chance to play. Gets, yeah. gets, gets, and gets spots Brooks. in the studio. Yep, Terrence that's, Brooks. That's corner, talk obviously. About corner. Sorry, that's corner. Are you talking about safety? The okay, corner uh, conversation will bleed here because yeah. I'm going to throw out one of my tired theories, and okay. I hope that the coaches are listening. I know they won't. but Somebody's listening. But I started looking at <laughs> snaps, and snaps lost at the safety position. Can we talk about the central nervous system of the defense? We've mm-hmm. talked about that since we've been doing this podcast. And even with Luke Brockermeyer uh, recovering from the knee injury he suffered before the K-State game, you still got – You've got ninety four with Brock or Meyer included. You've got ninety five percent of your inside linebacker snaps from last year returning. Now you can make the argument: were they all good snaps? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, no, not really, yeah. but for the most part, by and large, no. But you still got experience. Demarvin Overshone with five thirty, Brock or Meyer five eleven, Jalen Ford three ninety, David Bender one ninety eight, Devin Richardson fifty seven, and even nineteen by Mo Blackwell, who's a guy that I like a ton. The safety position, Rod, you were losing 1,172 snaps. And, again, you ask yourself, well, were those good snaps? Eh. Mm. Mm, by and large, no. Yeah. B.J. Foster, 648. Brennan Schooler, 378. Yeah. Chris Adamora, 136. And then Tyler Owens, 13. Yeah. Here's the catch, though, with the safety position. When you talk about needing to cross-trade and needing to move guys, when you look at the 1,109 snaps that are back, mm-hmm. that's Jaron Thompson and Anthony Cook. 502 of their over 1,100 snaps were in the nickel position in the slot. So in terms of guys that play boundary safety and field safety, uh, you've got about 500 or so snaps, Division One, Power 5, Big 12 snaps mm-hmm. at your safety position in terms of boundary safety and field safety. Yeah. That's not a ton. No, it's not. Not a ton. Um, I, I think, you know, Anthony Cook could end up, and I know they had him at nickel last year. I was very – it was upsetting that to watch, you know, PK put the forty personnel out there, three linebackers or four linebackers, and he would take he would take Cook off the field. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't Anthony Cook the best DB they've had this season, arguably? Mm-hmm. Why take him off the field when he indeed trains with the safeties, but also last year played corner? I didn't get that. That didn't make he, any sense to me. He in his career, he's played corner, he's played dime. Remember yeah. his freshman year, he played dime. He's played nickel. Like he's, we, we said, the safeties and nickels train together. Yeah. He was one of your most consistent DBs, if not your most consistent DB. Why You're trying to put your best 11 on the field. That's the challenge for a coach. Why take away one of your best 11 because you're so panicked about stopping the run? Put him at one of the other safe, safety positions or corner positions that has been a liability. Uh, I could pick a few. So that was to me was like one of the common sense things. I don't get what the hell's going on over there. That upset me. So – I hope they would just try to put the best 11 guys out there. Quit trying to solve the problem of, oh, we got to be a rush defense. We got to focus on the rush. No, no, if you find your best football players, your best 11, 
that that's part of it. You'll have your best run defenders out there. You have your best football players out there. Anthony Cook was one of those guys. You say it all the time, Rod. Coaches are problem solvers. You've got a problem. You weren't very good on defense. How do you start to solve the problem? You've got to start breaking it down. Okay, what can this defense do well? And maybe you you need to simplify it so much. Okay, who are my best eleven guys? Period. I know that sounds simple, but some coaches get so far down the rabbit hole they do. that. Yep. You don't. You lose stock of stuff like that. Yep, you do. And so, so, so sometimes, like, oh, we got to run all these shells and this person. Exactly. No, who are your best? 11? When you find your best eleven, you find out like, oh man, five of my best eleven are defensive linemen. All right, man, all right, I might have to do something. I might have to be a little in, innovative about trying to get those guys on the field as much as possible. Hell, the Rams have a five defensive line package. That's what I love they about got David. Von Miller there and Floyd. They bring a five with with Ashad Robinson and, yep. and Darren. They bring a five defensive line package every now and then, and it freaks people out. But that's because they're just trying to put their best guys on the field. You I told you about Dave Aranda, right? The linebackers off. They, they got, I think, put one linebacker out there when they do <laughs> like it. Like Dave Aranda talked about early in his career, and he's the DC at Hawaii, and he was taking stock of his personnel. Mm-hmm. That was the first question he asked himself: Who are my best eleven? And they were really deep on the defensive line. He's like, you know what? I'm going to have some six foot, two hundred ninety pound defensive ends, but they're part of my best eleven. My best and they got to be on the field. Got to get them out there. Why do you think? I look, need playmakers. You know, Ahmad Brooks ended up playing safety. Ahmad is smaller than me. Mm. And so was Vasher at the time, around the same height. They would play safety because Coach King was like, well, they're my best 11. Yeah. I'm getting them out there. And Quinn Jamman and Rod Babers will be my corners. Simple. you got to find. I don't think they did that simply. But getting back to the safeties, I think that Jaron Thompson actually showed some promise. It, it's disappointing. No, his angles to the football at times can be just really chaotic. And he... Yeah, I think when he gets to the ball, though, when he actually gets to the football and gets to the ball carrier, I think he's a pretty good tackler. But his angles at times put him so okay. you know so far Let out me of the ask play. You about that with the yeah. angles, it, a lot of time I always have assumed that if you have say bad eyes, if you're reading something, you're late on something, it can cause you to have bad angles, or is it just something that can? Is that just like too hard to diagnose? Yeah, I I, I really wish I could tell you because I don't know what his keys are. Yeah, I mean I know you know based on the coverage they have different keys. So I'm not mm-hmm. gonna say exactly what the young man is keying. I don't know, but I can tell you just watching the film like his angles. Obviously, whether he's whether they're rotating those safeties. This is for all the safeties though. But they're rotating them uh, back side of the play, or they're rotating them front side to the play side. They were just bad. They were bad playing it from the backside because when you're rotating late, which is what they try to do to keep their two high shell disguise, they will try to rotate late. That's what PK always wanted to do to try to obviously incite the offense to run the football and you can bring the safety down mm-hmm. late into the box. But when they come down late into the box, they it seems like they don't really understand where the ball is supposed to pop based on the defense that they're playing, based on the front. You should be able to somewhat, not predict, but you should be able to at one point adjust your angle to where the ball, based on the scheme of the defense, is supposed to pop, whether it is going to fan it out to the sideline, whether it's made, no, we're actually going to, we're going to, we're going to we'll set the edge and we're going to force it back inside. Mm-hmm. And it seems like at times the guys didn't know where the ball was supposed yeah. to pop. They're guessing. They're guessing. I'm like, how you be guessing? You should know that. No, no, no. We're crashing the edge this time. So if he's crashing the edge, we're gonna the ball's gonna pop. If it's gonna pop, then you're gonna he's gonna have to run. You know, he's gonna have to run a bit of a bubble to get to the end. All those things you're supposed to be able to anticipate. And it seems like in their mind, the safety. They're not I think part that. of that was you've talked about this, Rod. I've heard you talk about this on the afternoon show. They were so Texas. We talked about this a lot. I think a lot of the defensive issues they were so bad setting the edge. Yes, yeah, and that created so many different issues. Yeah, 
that I think all the dominoes are late after yeah. that. There was no trust in where the ball was supposed to pop. It's like, right. no, this ball could pop anywhere. Because <laughs> uh, we got wet t- toilet they, paper on the edge. Because you saw, you saw that fixable. a linebacker and you saw the safety. That's true. That's a good point. That's and that's where, point. like, sort of just asking the questions and wondering those things makes you wonder, is it fixable or not? Because if it is something simple where you are looking at the wrong thing or the execution in front of you is wrong, you can fix that. If it's instincts that are just causing you to take bad angles – that's a issue that's a personal on each person where those things maybe can't be fixed as A little much. bit of both, I think. I think it's a player uh, talent deficiency issue, and I think also a little bit that's on the coaches. So some's fixable. Yeah. No, I think it is. I mean, you, you're going to upgrade that talent, but it is just interesting to watch because I've been focusing on the safety. Everybody was so, so concerned about the safeties, right? So I, I literally went back and charted how often they ran two high shells and single high looks. Essentially, they were pretty split. I mean, it was not something where you know they ran they ran a little bit more single high than they than they ran too deep, and I think that's because late in the year teams were just gashing Texas. <laughs> and then depends uh, who you're facing. Huh? Yeah, exactly. If you have a and pass threat, you exactly. know, then you're, you're playing go running too high. team. So I think late in the year he started to figure out, damn, these teams are trying to gash in the run. Even on sometimes on uh, so a lot, when they're a lot down more single games, high at that point. Yes, when they're down in games, and even on third and and medium, they're actually running the football. So I counted uh, right around fifty two percent of their plays being with a single high and this is the thing that blows your mind though 65 percent of the explosive plays texas allowed this year came when they were in single high looks so they kept getting burned either via the pass or they kept just getting gashed in the running game because like i said they would bring the safety down Mm -hmm. uh, in the box he's he's rotating down in single high that's the whole point you get an extra hat in the run game and yet his angle either be so bad from the from the back side of the play that would even matter. That's how you or give up horrible explosives. Yes, or on the front side, the angle was so bad, or they would just flat out just miss the tackle. Or, honestly, the edge wasn't set, so sometimes the guy would just go run straight up the sideline, and the safety would have an angle where he's coming more toward the line of scrimmage and have to adjust that. So it was just... It was just a fuster cluck at times. Yeah. But most of the explosive plays they allowed this year came out of single high looks. Well, they got, Garrett Patterson's got to fix that. Yeah, troubling. that's a big deal because you're allocating the personnel there to do something and you aren't even getting the return, so there's no point of doing <laughs> but it. But also, <laughs> it, it, when when teams saw that, though, in the past, they went deep on Texas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, go look at the Texas Tech film. Go look at Oklahoma. When they saw single high, they just – there was, a point, in year where, there was a point in the year where teams were completing, I think, like between 60 and 65% of passes 20 yards or more down the field. Oh, yeah. You're completing 60, 60% of your deep shots. They You're finished, not supposed to complete that. They that, finished that 62%. They finished 62? At, I believe they finished at 62% completion. On it that should balls. be about 38%. That should yeah. be, yes, should be less than 40%. Easy. I remember Robert Griffin's Heisman year. Baylor was right around, I want to say it was like 45 48%. And that was like record set. And we were talking about, oh, my Best gosh, they're so accurate. With the deep ball, <laughs> yeah, Texas. and it's and this is like Colt McCoy and Jordan Shipley playing pitch and catch, except it's thirty yards down yeah. the field. And, and Texas way, was facing some quarterbacks that never threw the ball more than twenty plus. Texas yards. didn't play great quarterbacks. <laughs> the Big Twelve didn't have great quarterbacks this year. Who was your All Big Twelve quarterback? Uh, First team was it Spencer Sanders? Yeah, I think it I think was Spencer. Spencer. Exactly. So you didn't have great quarterback play, and yet they completed sixty plus percent of their deep passes against Texas secondary. And by the way, they didn't even throw it that often. I mean, we kept talking about why don't they throw it against Texas deep? Because you were you were allowing five point two yards per rush. rush. So why the hell would I throw it? Against and you? you're probably leading, so you're running more. Yeah. And that's why they're doing. Well, no, te- Texas was leading teams by double digits, and teams would not stop running the football. Yeah, Usually, teams freak crazy. out and panic. It's like you know we got to throw it. We're down fourteen points against Texas. We got to no. They just kept running it. They were like no, no, no. 
His their run defense is really horrible. Bad. Even if <laughs> even if you go back to some of the games Texas won in Big Twelve play, I know the Tech game really got away from Tech. Yeah, but like the TCU game, they stopped running the ball, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zach, yeah, right. Zach Evans and Kendra Miller, they were gashing Texas. He was gashing mm-hmm. Texas. Yeah, I would say he averaged something like six yards per carry. And they yeah. stopped running the ball. Yeah, they did. Well. Yeah, because remember Gary Patterson said, he said, I wouldn't do what Texas did with Bijan, essentially. Patterson, well, Gary Patterson well, said, well, if you, guy if was you did, you would have won the game. Well, and he also just threw his five-star running back under the bus and was like, oh, yeah, he's not in shape. We can't give him the ball enough. Oh, I remember that, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, we like Gary Patterson now. Come yeah. On. Yeah. Yeah. You, oh, you know now he's he's pushing as much as possible for Bijan to get that pill. Oh, well, yeah, remember, now he is. <laughs> remember, Gary Patterson was untouchable at TCU, according to Gary Patterson. <laughs> according to Gary Patterson. Well, you know, right. That's what he told his players let's the week hold, he got fired. Let's hold the thoughts on the secondary. We'll, oh. co- we'll complete that conversation next week. Okay. I'm going to get back on my Deshaun Jameson to nickel stump. So oh, yeah, you guys, I love this rant. You guys uh, be prepared. <laughs> yeah, Just like Duke Thomas can be a two-way player, <laughs> yeah. Deshaun Jameson's going to the nickel. Uh, gonna, last year we had the Deshaun Jameson going hill, to boys. safety. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, that's going to do it. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. <laughs> Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Time, brother. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049 1019 AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B and Mike Harge on hey the soon-to-be-named afternoon show from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also catch myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast. Click the follow button to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. And we will catch you again on the next episode been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember for the latest You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.